The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. That's right. I'm not kidding this time. He is back. He is still <laughs> suffering from jet lag, but Paul is here. Uh, big shout out to Chance. Thanks, man, for uh, joining us for a couple of podcasts. There will be times in the future when you will hear Paul and Chance together, but uh, he and I had a lot of fun. We ended up talking the FRS uh, BRZ chassis a lot because we both own them. <laughs> That's so But cool. Paul is here to, to regale us with stories from his time in Asia. So welcome back, my friend. Well, thank you. It's nice to be back. Yes, jet lag seems to be the... Uh recurring theme in my life after our pilgrimage trip, Germany before that no again. And it's just sort of this feeling. You just it takes a, yeah. a week. You just can't you can't shake it off. You have to just muddle through. You know, you gotta just yeah. deal with it. But uh finally getting past that and yeah, as you may have uh, seen on the Twitter feed, I had the opportunity to visit Tokyo, Japan my first time. Mm-hmm. I've been really wanting to go for a long time. As a matter of fact, when I worked for Kawasaki Motors, they always promised yeah. a trip to Japan. Yeah. You will go. You will meet the design team. They never sent me. They would always send me designers <laughs> thinking, well, they need to come to America to learn the customs and you know the big motorcycle market and yeah, blah, yeah. blah. I'm like, I, I want to go. Why can't I go? So it felt uh, very vindicating in that sense. And uh, you know, it's it, – it was like what, uh, along the lines of seeing a Ferrari or Lamborghini in Italy. When I saw an original mm, Honda mm. NSX and a Nissan GTR, we've driven those cars. We appreciate them. But seeing them sure, in the mother sure. country, I went, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An NSX in Japan, how cool is that? You know, Yeah, was, the place where they belong. Well, yeah. well that's, a, that's a question. What, uh, what car companies did you uh, interact with when you were there? Because I know you were there. I mean, you were there to interact with car companies. And you also just saw a lot of this, the car culture in general. But I'm curious what specifically, where'd you go? Yeah, well, I started out with Honda, went to uh, Honda for, um, you know, for a meeting there, and then also Honda Motorcycles, and actually mm. saw some of their you know, most recent work, actually unreleased work for their latest, greatest bike, you know, full-on crotch rocket. And I just have to laugh because they're so secretive. They take your cell phones. They mm. make you sign everything. You wear a red armband sure. saying visitor. You know, you nearly have sniper <laughs> rifles trained on you. And I look at the latest, you know, this this new design. I'm thinking, it's kind of looked like that for 20 years. I mean, there's a new little yeah. squiggle and a wiggle and the fairing does something different. And I'm sure it's an awesome bike and we love Honda motorcycles, but – I'm just not seeing what's so secret. I'm just okay. It's not like, yeah, you're seeing something revolutionary. I, I take your point. <laughs> no. I take your point. Uh, so I went there and then visited uh, Hyundai. Interestingly, Hyundai has an interior design studio in Yokohama. And that is despite the fact they sell no cars in Japan. There are no Korean really? cars sold there. Because Japanese cars at the low end are cheap enough to cover that market and the Japanese hmm. are very patriotic in that sense. I mean, I asked, uh, you know, one of my friends there, I said, so, you know, what do you, what do you think of Samsung, you know, given the, you know, Galaxy Note 7 replacement and all this stuff? And I said, so, you know, what do you guys in general think of Samsung? And he says, enemy. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Huh. I mean, that's why everybody buys iPhone 7s there. Uh, so, all right, I, I get it. But their cars are inexpensive enough. So no Hyundais in Japan. But and, they have a studio uh, there? That strikes me as very weird. Well, it's to poach all the designers away from Honda, Nissan, Mazda. Oh, interesting. Toyota. You know, it's it's to get that design interesting. talent there okay. and compete all at right. a high level. And hmm. they're okay. there and they're doing production work. So very so, cool. I mean, I know you took some, uh, some pictures in, in various places, but – I mean, talk about the the weird cars you saw or the stuff you've never seen before, that kind of stuff. I'm just very curious. Where did you see them? Was it just everywhere? And just what what did you see? Yeah. I mean, from the taxis. Well, of course, everything is right-hand drive there. So I knew that going in. Sure, yeah. But Mm -hmm. the taxis are so great. They have lace doilies covering the seats. They're so clean. They're sparkling clean. And the driver has a lever or an air bladder to pop the door open for you. And it makes sense because businessmen have their arms full, bags and stuff, and they pull up, they pop the door open for you, and they can shut it. And you just hop in, Hmm. and it's clean and nice. The windows are clean. Everything's so clean and respectful. That was the biggest Mm, overarching mm. theme that we all noticed. 
it was just so respectful for people lying for lining up for queues outside the subway. You could go up or down the the escalators, and everybody stands to the left, and there's no pushing or shoving. You just line up and you patiently wait, and that's life. And there's no hmm. there's no problem. It's really great. So um, yeah, from the taxis to the little uh, key cars, K cars that are the little little tiny looking van things, and those from, always crack me up. Yeah. Well, what's so funny is I stayed in a hotel and the lobby is at the 24th floor. So the hotel starts there and then goes up from there. So, you know, our rooms are very high up and you're looking down at the traffic. And just like in the movie Godzilla, these little tiny cars driving around on set, you know, little tiny micro machines driving around. And I think, oh, (laughs) Godzilla's around the next building. There's the K cars. They look so funny from way up here. But they're actually people in those things and driving around and cruising around. Um but yeah, to see I've always I've always had two minds about those K cars. There's a part of me that really, really wants one in the US, and then there's a part of me that thinks until the point at which you die. I mean, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. I you know, it would be they always <laughs> seem so really cool because they make some that are rear wheel drive, and they make some, I mean, they're they're just they're crazy little cars. But anytime you put them next to a US car, you just go, oh yeah, that's a death trap. <laughs> totally. I mean, they're just so hilarious. And then you you see, I saw one, no two GTRs, just. You know, hammering through the middle of town and I'm going, ah, oh, sure. how cool is that? And it's it's this, you know, you sort of swell with pride for the home country. You know, it's like, wow, that's awesome. that's so oh. awesome. Um, what else? But, uh, yeah, just a variety of cars from, you know, mainly all the models that we don't get here because they're too small. I mean, like I keep saying, sure, we've yeah. got Texas. We have Montana. We don't need K-cars. We've, we've got space, everyone. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're right. You're right. Uh, the biggest – thing what was so cool are the automated parking machines and how they remove your car and deliver it and what that does to oh, your sure. planning for the day because for us we say oh let's just go to lunch let's just hop in a car and go to lunch well there it's buried in the giant robotic maelstrom of car garages mm. and you have to go back down and wait in line the car has to be delivered so you're waiting for that and you finally, huh. it's delivered, it comes out, the turntable rotates, and you can drive out of the deep parking garage. So that alone takes, you know, 15, 20 minutes if there's no line. So Oh, interesting point, yeah. You, you, you walk everywhere. You, you take public transportation. And it's uh, very much a different mindset. And, of course, living there, you don't need a car. I mean, trains sure. galore, sure. taxis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uber, all of that stuff. I fell in love with that uh, Toyota Velfire and uh, just the the vans are so cool. It's like a Mercedes S Class in there, and it's made by Toyota. <laughs> like, ah, it is just well. Cool. I was going to say. So, in spite of the taxi service, the white glove taxi service is Uber popular. It is, but the taxi thing—they've got it so dialed and so refined that they still compete at a high level with Uber. Uber's not sure, inexpensive okay. either, yeah. and. Yeah, okay. Taxis are all up in the mix and they drive these uh, I forget the model. They're 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 not Crown Royals. They're <laughs> they're something else. Uh somebody's going to correct me, but they they still build these cars. They're the three box design that are, they look like they're from mm. the 70s, mm. but Toyota yeah, keeps yeah, yeah. building the them. Yeah. For taxis. I mean, they're 2015 yeah, the classic cars. taxi that's been there forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So they're brand new, they're clean, but it's totally old school inside and you know, plenty of space and all that stuff. So very funny. Um, yeah, these minivans are designed to, you know, dad, rich dads with money. You know, you're a new dad. You've got some kids and they're targeted at you. And just the uh, in-your-face styling. And I'm starting to hmm. – being there, I'm starting to clue in and sort of, uh, you know, understand the styling themes a bit more. There's no understated anything. It's – you're making hmm. a statement with everything. And sure, I think that's why we get things like the Prius here. That I was going to say, you're go, there thinking that the Prius now makes sense, aren't you? Yeah, I, I kind of do. I saw a lime green Prius, brand new. I thought, I cool. <laughs> I still don't want but it, but as, I, as I the resident you. bright color guy of this group, I have to say that there is no design on the history of the planet that needed to stay away from bright colors more. <laughs> Than the current new Prius design. I mean, I, and I, 
I am I am the guy that says, you know what that car needs? That car needs to be in bright yellow or oh orange gosh. or red. I am that guy. And yet the Prius, please, please, no. No, no. No, oh no, no. Gosh. It's way too much going on in that design. It was like that safety green, safety yellow color. Just, I mean, <laughs> scrapes your eyeballs. And okay. Wow. I mean, all right. So that happened. Um <laughs> <laughs> Man, what else? Just the overall, you know, culture, enjoying the the respect in everything. I can mm, definitely mm. check the box and say I sang karaoke in Tokyo. So little Barry Manilow and Club Nouveau, you know, lean on me. Wow. I, I, uh, wow. I can check that box. I, I am of two minds. A part of me wishes we had that on video, and another part of me, for respect out of you, I'm glad we don't. So, yes, because it would wind up on social media somewhere. Yeah. And what would frighten me is that it would become our most watched video ever, and then then I'd have to be depressed. Yeah. But anyway, moving on. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Good for you, though. Good for you. Okay. So we'll move on to food and drink. I did not right. eat the horse sashimi. I didn't try it. You drew the line there. I drew the did. line at horse. I okay. love right. sushi. Yeah. I love... Japanese food. I now turns out I love sukiyaki. I love all this food, but the horse, the horse, little pink slices of raw horse meat. I, I just drew the line at animals you can ride. I understand. Yeah, okay, you yes. put a saddle on it. I mean, ranching the West, <laughs> Mister Ed. I couldn't eat Mister. I Ed. am against food. I normally put a saddle on. There's the, there's the, the tagline right there. Yes, I <laughs> will don't... eat anything that is not normally saddled. Yeah. We don't eat. We don't put saddles on cows and ride them around. They're just, you know, they're ranched for eating. Horses are the thing you use to oh, ranch terrible. the cows with. Well, you know what? I can, I can, I can connect the dots for you there. You are against eating things that are also modes of transportation. We're a transportation Ooh. show. We don't eat cars. We also don't eat horses. This is this is I, our this is our rule. Like we draw that. the line at modes of transportation. So uh, yeah, that's that's good. I like that. I just otherwise way too much sake. I of course really love the sake, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know then of course the electronics. I mean, I really want a massage chair. I really do. I I mean they're just you are you amazing. are that guy. You were the guy who would have a massage chair randomly in his living room. You are totally. that guy for sure. Absolutely, totally. True. I can I can see it. We went into this huge store. And by huge, I mean you haven't seen anything this big. Imagine everything. I mean, they probably have food too, which I didn't find, but they have mm. everything. They have a sea of massage chairs, like 30 of them. <laughs> and people totally come in and take this, a 20-minute so break. They're just – So this is like one electronic store, like the world's largest fries. Is that kind of what you're saying? It's like six levels of fries, only you know, That's frightening. way better. They've got – Massage yeah. chairs and watches and cameras and I look for the PlayStation, but they were all sold out of the VR stuff and just, huh. I mean, <laughs> loads wow. of toys and kids stuff and on and on and on. So it is true they've they've got the coolest stuff and they get it before we do. So all right, that's. Uh, but otherwise, it was just really cool to experience the culture and and uh, you know. Check off karaoke in Japan because it's sort yeah, of like I, the law. Things that are things that are not on my list. I, I at some point will be the guy that goes to Tokyo and still doesn't do karaoke because we'll all be better off. But I'm glad you're back. I'm glad to have you back. We've got so much stuff swirling uh, related to the show. We actually want to talk about uh, the other adventure things that we're planning for 2017. We've been talking a lot about that just since you got back. And just so everybody knows, Paul's, but when we're recording this, Paul's been back about 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I have already bombarded him with all of the <laughs> stuff we have to do. And he's, he's, you know, he's got his eyelids propped open. And I'm like, yes, but there's this too, because this is what happens when one of us goes out of town, the other keeps kind of the machine rolling forward. And then it's massive amounts of catch up. But, you know, in the midst of the icon film and t-shirts, yes, I'm serious. That is happening. And adventures for next year. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. We're really excited. Soon, we're going to drop a film that will show you kind of how the pilgrimage trip went. We're very excited to share that. That's a fun little film that turned out from those guys that went with us. 
Uh, and I also should say, uh, this week we are starting our series on on guests. We're not going to have guests all the time, but we're going to have some good guests on the podcast. We're kicking that off this week. On Friday, you're going to get to hear Jason Fenske from Engineering Explained. So that's going to be one of our first big guests we've got on. We're going to try to do that, I don't know, every six weeks, two months, we're going to have somebody on. And we've got actually a good line of people already lined up. So this is all stuff that's happening, and we're going to keep doing YouTube films uh, yeah, and, and until one of us falls over and can no longer get up, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> I suppose that's why we have the week between Christmas and New Year's just to shut down and shut off. And well, yeah, well, but I, nothing. you know, I also have to say that that the truth is, you're going to notice over the next few weeks until we get to the Icon BMW film coming out, our films are going to going to back off to about one every other week, and that is that is absolutely strategic. That's on purpose yeah. to build yeah. me time to be cutting on the Icon film, which I was cutting on today. I've been cutting on it feels like lots of days, but was cutting on it today. Was cutting all the the E30 piece. And it's – I was telling Chance this last week, Paul. It's all stuff from prime summer green driving time in Utah and it is making me hurt. <laughs> and then we look at watching. Well. Because the, yeah, because that season's essentially over now. I mean, I have to figure out which weekend I'm going to put the winter tires on my car. I mean, it, it's that thing where right now that's that weird. Look, this is a first world problem, but it's also a a, a fall uh, in Utah problem. I'm having that thing where I've got the Pilot Supersport still on my car, and oh, when I leave yeah. in the morning and it's 25 degrees out, but there's no snow on the ground. But 25 degrees, those tires are rocks. But yet when I come back later and it's 60 degrees, I'm fine. I'd yeah. be sawing through my winter tires if I had them on. So I'm at that weird spot. But still in the next few weeks before we actually get some real snow, because <clears throat> super sports and snow are not going to mix, I have to put the actual winter tires on, which also means, I, again, only a problem for some people, I have to put the stock wheels back on, which I really don't like. Oh, but, yeah. hey, winter tires are necessary. Yeah, I'm going to have to. What about but, a hey, business? winter tires are a necessity. Think about a business model. Some new business. It's like a filling station. It's like a gas station, only it's it's like a pit crew. And it's wheel and tire changes, and you store your winter tires there, but you can do it by the day. You know, so this oh, today's sure. bad weather, and you just roll through yeah. it. You know, they yeah, you have put a, the winter yeah. tires on. There you go. And then you roll back in the afternoon and, you know, super quick change I, and roll out. I like I like this. You know, everybody's business plan has gone to a monthly payment now. So there, that might be our, our, our ticket to money right there. Figure out, Of course, we'll have three people that will sign up. But it's a fantastic idea. If it has lots of robot arms, I, I, think, uh, I think it could work because that would be really cool. I, Everything's better with robot arms. That's really a, that's a life lesson right there. That's 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 the it good is. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. I found a lot yeah. of robots in Japan, and they even have a robot restaurant. They, they dance and oh, they serve man. you food and you know lights and flashy things and the Gundam robots. See, I, oh my gosh. I I need I, I need fewer shows with my meals. This is the thing about <laughs> the Japanese culture that I don't I don't need a show with my meal. If I'd like a show, I'll eat at home and watch TV. Otherwise, I just like to eat, talk to the people I'm with. Yeah. I, I I I need fewer shows with my meals. But anyway, yeah. should talk we do a car debate? Load. Maybe. Yes, we should. We should. As a matter of fact, we've got a couple of guys here that are writing in very different stories, but mm-hmm. ultimately they're kind of looking for the very same thing. They got their very different overlap. Yeah, yep, first I totally got agree. Eric. Eric here is writing in, and his requirements are top of the list: manual transmission. He's looking mm-hmm. for a sedan, maybe a coupe, but looking for a sedan. And mm-hmm. he's got the list of stuff going, the cars that he's owned. And then we've got Brian in Georgia. He's got four cars that I think I can count here in his gigantic list. I think four. It's a it's a huge list, but yes, uh huh. Trying to whittle down the garage not sell his wife's truck that she loves and try to pool all that money and then get something that at the top of the list is a manual transmission, probably a sedan if he can, maybe a coupe, but and rear wheel yeah, drive. And, it, and it, definitely it, rear it wheel is drive. the same. Yeah. It's the same. Here are my list of requirements, but you're right. Two guys coming at it from opposite poles and winding up at the same place. We got a little bit different budgets in both places. Uh, I feel like uh, Brian's got a little more restrictive budget. But at the same time, yeah, we are winding up in a lot of overlap. I've tried to actually not suggest the same thing for both, but I'm intrigued by <laughs> these hard. lists. And I look forward to diving into them. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm exactly. going through and I've got, oh, well, that car would work for Brian. It'd work for Eric. Huh. Mm-hmm. But but maybe, you know, it, it just proves that, you know, there's there's good choice for everybody. And, you know, you can have different <laughs> situations and still enjoy the same car. So we'll just try to prove that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's jump right into Eric here. 
I said, uh, as I told you, manual transmission. He is looking for a sports sedan that costs less than twenty grand, or around twenty grand, or possibly if he leases mm-hmm, the car, mm-hmm. three hundred dollars a month. Looking for rear all-wheel drive, good ride. He has a lot of driving to do, so road trips are at the yes. top of his list. Not necessarily mm-hmm. the fun that you and I search out for constantly that we all do. It will be the fun car, but it's got to be all year round. So that's why he added, I think, well, the all-wheel drive yeah. in there. Well, it's got to be the fun. It's got to be the fun car. I mean, he is he is doing that kind of more classic, less hardcore driving version of what we talk about. And what I mean by that is. This is a car he's not planning to track. This is a car that when he does big commutes and big road trips, both of which are a big part of his life, it has to do that really well while being a car that he enjoys. I mean, I'll give you a contrast. He could do great gas mileage and long-term road trips in a Prius, but he wants to have a car that feels fun doing those things. So, okay, we're in that world of, okay, big commute and big drives. But he actually said, I thought this was very informative. He said he had an FRS. Mm-hmm. And he liked it, but he got rid of it because the ride and and noise and all of that was too harsh for long trips. So while he yeah. understands that kind of dynamics that speaks to him, it's not a car that works for his usage. So I thought that was very informative for my discussion. That really stuck out because I knew you'd notice it. And, you know, the fact that he loved it. But we've said in our videos, really not great on the freeway. We want to be doing other things with this car, tracking and drifting and you know, driving fun canyon roads and all that stuff. But I, I agree, not fun for the trips that you need. And so I'm, I'm fascinated that that is not on the list. But again, back to the sedan thing, he has owned a Mitsubishi Galant VR4. Remember that thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, you, you put that on here, Eric, and I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that car. I, I've always wondered. I thought, man, that'd be a really awesome performance car, but apparently it never ran, so that's off. <laughs> uh, I mean, no pressure, but that car doesn't run. Other than that, great. You know. Other than that, cool car, man. Uh, Chevy Caprice. <laughs> I mean, you're like Chevy yeah. Caprice guy, you know, your dad and the uh, one that you had. Sadly, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're the Caprice guy. Uh, what else? Civic Hybrid, the FRS, and the current car, which is a Nissan Altima. Yes, we have to save you from boredom. And we will do just that, uh, working with the $20,000 budget. I'm uh, Well, and he's coming out of an Altima, which has been a great car. It's been, mm-hmm. Look, the, the thing about the Altima, honestly, the Altima is a bomb in the middle of Nissan's lineup. And I mean that in a great way because it is affordable. It gets fantastic gas mileage. The Maxima, a couple of you have asked about the Maxima, used to be the four-door sports car. I agree with those of you that have asked. It isn't anymore. So it totally overlaps the Maxima's territory, gets great gas mileage, is affordable to run, is is actually reliable. I mean, that is a great all-around do-it-all car, but it's not a car that you're necessarily going to get excited about. And that's where we are here. That's why Eric wants out of it. He wants something a little more exciting. But the Nissan clearly has checked all the boxes. I think... That's the thing that was so informative here, Eric, is your discussion of the Altima versus the FRS, both of which you've owned most recently. Those feel to me like the edges of your car discussion. Those are like the bookends. We're trying to find you middle ground. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. That's that's interesting. Something that stuck out before we dive into the choices here is this sentence right in the middle of Eric's email about, yes, advice, you guys tell us, always go drive these cars before making a choice. He is he is considering the Cadillac ATS. He's looking at mm-hmm. an Acura TL with a super handling all-wheel drive, super duper. Uh, mm-hmm. Mazda Speed 6, a WRX with the current generation, and a 335i. But what he says here about driving all these, he says, huh, maybe I'll go to Turo and test drive them all using Turo. So anybody from <laughs> yeah, Turo yeah. listening, Todd and I have decided that we would love to be sponsored by you because it just speaks yeah. to what we do, what you do. Turo.com, check it out. You can rent cars. We are finding cars we would love to get for very low mm-hmm. cost. I think it's an interesting business model. We need to promote it. We already are without any money, but I'm just saying, hey, Turo, anybody listening, executives, we're calling you out. We want uh, we want to <laughs> continue to promote you because Eric's already suggested it here. What a great idea! Yeah. You're, you're thinking yeah. how Todd and I think. 
I, I think it is great that he's calling out Turo. And it is funny, the, the great thing about it is you do have the opportunity to do that extended test drive thing that you and I discuss so much about the typical test drive is, is not good. So there is possibly a way around it. The thing that, that's cool here is that the cars that I, that I recommend for you, I think you can find in your budget. I mean, you're dealing with about twenty grand at the most or maybe a lease. Uh, I think there's some good options here for you. I tried to chase stuff that was... Hopefully rear-wheel drive, I do have an exception, but hopefully rear-wheel drive, unique, manual transmission available. Uh, I mean, this does start to get get hard quickly, but I do think there are some options. I went with uh, one car, one choice, and then a wild card that we can chop up and discuss. Okay. But, uh, Eric, you mentioned the WRX. That led me to the Mitsubishi Evo. Evos just aren't comfortable. They're just not. No, we don't. Well, like but the them WRX the isn't a commute. Uh, isn't a commute long long exactly. distance car either. That's that exactly whole world just doesn't cover that well. Yeah, yep. yeah. Keep going. It just. I mean, the WRXs are only slightly more comfortable than the Evo, and that's not saying much. So. Oh, that's not saying much at all. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I went to the the 2011 Audi S4, and I found you a prestige model. Hmm. Okay. Now, 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 the. Paul Limiter is uh, always in consideration here, and I'm hoping <laughs> that your $20,000 budget didn't include a Paul Limiter, maybe, because I found one. <laughs> maybe. I found one for 26000 with only 39,000 okay. miles, right. though. So if you've got concerns about it's, you know, I want it to be new enough, but not too many miles, we'll call it 40,000 miles. For that price... I think that's the sweet spot. I think that might be a little bit high, and you could talk them down to 24-ish. Could that be mm. possible? Because we like that car. A lot of good power. The refinement is way up there. It's low enough miles where you're not super deep into the, huh, is something going to go? Am I going to need to maintain something? Pour a bunch of money into sure, the car. Sure. And it's all-wheel drive. It's going to be great for long trips. Definitely manual mm. transmission. I think you're going to really like that car, should you be interested. Now, with the wild card here, I thought, it's a coupe, but it gets back to the recipe. And it's what Todd and I, it's actually what you brought up when discussing your car in comparison to my GTS. It's the BMW 2 Series. It's as if the FRS became more refined and better. Good. Yep. That's that's the top of my list for him, actually. Is it really? Mm Mm-hmm. I thought, yep. but but I don't know. So I went looking for the least expensive 228 I could find. Good. So I, f- I found you a 2014 for twenty one thousand five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. But then I then I realized that is not a manual transmission. You cannot get that car. You can only get the three the two thirty five with the manual transmission. Mm. I don't think it's offered. So that really kind of pops that balloon. But then I got to thinking, in that range, what else? What, what am I missing? What could be a, you know, something that size? And then we've suggested this car before. BMW 128i's are twenty thousand dollars. Now, well, what about the 135 though? Can you get a 135? They dropped far enough yet? Yes, uh, the one I found had seventy four thousand miles. It was beautifully okay. maintained. It was blue, dark blue. So you could do that. Uh, the 135i. 2013 model for 20 grand. Otherwise, the rest of the 128 mm-hmm. eyes are also 20. That just seems to be is what it is. That's the price they're at, give or take 20,000 mm-hmm. miles either way. That's kind of where they're at. I love the 228i, like a really base model. Of course, now BMW has changed everything to the 230i and the 240i yeah. with more yeah. power, better, blah, 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 blah. We like that car, though. I'm pretty sure if you go back a couple years, though, you can get into that 228 as a used bottle with a manual. I think it. I know it doesn't anymore, but I think when they first dropped it, I think you could. So I would also say dig okay. along those lines because you may be able to find that in a manual. You're not going to be able to get a new one, so you can't pull off the lease thing. But that's the nice thing about that being the base BMW. I mean, it, it is one of those random times. As many times as I've said that the base German car is often not good, the 228i is the exception to that rule. Honestly, it's a very good car. Now, if it you is. went with that... That ZF eight speed with the paddles still a good gearbox, but if you want to go manual, I think you can go back a couple uh, a couple years, and I think you can find them. I know they aren't offering it anymore, which is a bummer. And that sort of alleviates this. You know, I want the three thirty five I, but you know, he's concerned about mm-hmm. the reliability, the maintenance. It's those are brand new cars, practically. They're you know they'll still be under warranty. They'll be 
decent to maintain. I won't say inexpensive. It's still a German car. But yeah. I, I think it won't be, you know, it's not a 7 Series, not an S-Class. You know, it's it's uh, it's still doable. So I, I really like that. It just it hit me when he mentioned FRS. And I thought, okay, you've owned one. Mm-hmm. You liked it. What is what is an FRS only better? It's the upgrade in all the ways he needs it. It's the upgrade that is the nicer ride and the less uh, vibration and harshness. I mean, it's, it's those kind of things. And candidly, it's more powerful than the FRS BRZ. So I really think that is my favorite. I mean, I had a couple of wild cards here, but they're just kind of a please consider this also. I think the 228, if you can find that in the manual, I think that is the way to go. Uh, I'd love for you to dig around and get a used one of those. But I liked your 1 Series, too, because that creates an alternative for him. I actually thought of the Regal GS. Now, that is front-wheel drive. You said front-wheel drive, maybe. But I like the Regal GS because it's a it's a unexpected one that you and I enjoyed. And those cars are not going to hang on to their values. You can find a used value on one of those. Again, like the 228i, you have to go back a couple of years to get the manual. Uh, and I think they have an all-wheel drive version that is not offered with the manual. So your front-wheel drive, which is a bummer, but you and I originally drove that GS. It was an auto, but originally drove that GS front-wheel drive, and we're pleasantly surprised by it because, candidly, it's a European-tuned chassis. It's not a random front-wheel drive Buick. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And you could even go so far as to rebadge it as an Opel and be, you know, hey, just, I'm cool. Just it's for a fun. European just car. for fun. Look, an Opel. You've never seen Opel. You've probably never heard of Opel because you live in North America. But still, they're well, designed in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, they are. Yeah. Um, well, and speaking of uh, rebadges, that, that leads me to think SS, of course, because we're talking rear-wheel drive sedans, which are out of your budget. But the Pontiac G8 is not. Now, the if you oh. want to worry about gas mileage, you probably oh. are going to have to go V6 on that, even though you're going to want the GXP with the big V8. But uh, but you probably could go V6 on that and, and get yourself a nice large rear-wheel drive sedan. I mean, let's let's be candid. You've talked about owning a Caprice Classic. This is a Caprice Classic model done better. I mean, I, you had, had a 95 Caprice Classic. I am speaking your language. I know. <laughs> the problem with that car is it was just underpowered and felt like a boat. This has all of the nice road trip across country feel of the Caprices while still being dynamic and having decent power. That G8's an option, I have to say. He's trying to tell you it's overpowered and feels like a boat. So, you know, take your pick. <laughs> All good. Win-win. <laughs> Just tell everybody it's More a four-door GTO. Yeah. It's cool. It's a four-door GTO or a four-door Corvette. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? <laughs> Frightening. And then, of course, I think, you know, the often forgotten Infinities could be on here, too. You could chase one of the older Infinity sedans, maybe go back as far as, like, the G37 sedan. I am going to get myself in the place where I'm wrong here for a minute because I'm not sure where the separation was of when those were offered with manuals. So I may have recommended a car that isn't even offered in manual right now. That is me with a lack of infinity research coming into the podcast. I apologize. But that is the right kind of idea, chassis-wise, uh, engine-wise, etc. I know the coupes were offered a long time with the manual, but I'm going to have to look right now. Sorry about that, about the uh, the sedans. Um, you could go Infinity. I prefer, personally, the Pontiac or the uh, the 228i for your needs, though. I think we need to write our senators or have a march on Washington or something demanding four-door sports sedans with manual transmissions. I mean, I know the Alpha Julie is coming, but I feel like this category can't come soon enough. We're so limited. We're you know, Evos and WRXs, and the list is not long. And Eric, we're feeling your pain. I, I say, uh, it's the reality write your of the fact that the manual, the manual is dying. You know, and it we is. we have it some is. Facebook questions come up that relate to that here that we're going to get to in a little while. But it relates to all of that, and, and it's the combination of lack of interest, or in some cases, lack of knowledge in the manual transmission, combined with automatics are superseding uh, manuals as far as capability. So those two things combined, it's embrace the new technology and move on, but I will be the the old guy for a minute and just say that the manual just is fun. Yep. Plus, you know, if we didn't have anything to complain about, life wouldn't be nearly as interesting. So there you go, Well, we wouldn't be car journalists. That's the key (laughs) thing. If we didn't have something random and mostly unnecessary to the common man to complain about, we could not call ourselves car journalists. I mean, you know, why on earth (laughs) only a car journalist can complain about not having that awesome car as a manual in wagon form, (laughs) which they only sell two of. And and let's be honest, if they made that random car that we love, okay, I'll I'll go I'll go really random for a second. If they made the manual transmission somehow four door wagon version of the FRS 
car journalists everywhere would go, that is the coolest thing ever, and then none of them would buy it. Yeah, right, right. I mean, everybody says, oh, the M5 as a wagon with a six or seven speed manual transmission. But nobody would buy it because nobody could afford yeah. it, and that would they'd, be they'd, well. They'd sell they'd sell like three. I mean, this yeah. is the Cadillac CTS V yeah. problem. None of us could can still shut up about that car, and yet I I don't think they exactly flew off the lot. So I mean, the people that Ooh. like them like them, and they hang on to their value. But it's not like everybody wants a CTS V. Most people just went. Why do I want a Cadillac wagon? So yeah, we're <laughs> right. lost. Eric, get the CTS V wagon. Get that. That is awesome. Yeah. Dude. Talk about needing a Paul limiter. That's way, way out of the budget. But yeah. <laughs> Driver's license, point eliminator, limiter, limiter, whatever. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to Brian, who's writing to us in Georgia. And uh, and thank you, Brian, for writing. You've got a an 06 BMW 330i six-speed sport package. Hey, wait a minute. Do you want to sell your car to Eric? I'm telling you, work? we're going to do no, it. One I, of these days, almost, people are going to say, it, it, well, we're almost going to have a trade. Here's my yeah, It's going to be like a blind model. date. Are, yeah. are we good? Like, do we have to declare taxes or anything? No, I think we're good. We're just backing away from each other. We're good. Bye-bye. You're right. It's, it's like a blind date on the car debate. You give your car over here. You give your car over here. And everybody walk away and lose everyone's number. Okay, done. Excellent. I don't see a problem. Don't, That's got to happen. Exactly. People, let's make this and happen. And don't call yeah. everyday driver if there's a problem. Yeah. We, we, there's nothing to see here. <laughs> Bye-bye. Anyway, Who? Yeah. Who are you? Well, no, he, nobody of that name here. Sorry. He has this car. He commutes a lot. He has almost 200,000 miles on it. He really likes it, and yet it's about to break his budget. It's mm. just it's, – it's making his wallet spark into fire. So this is the reason that the car must go. I mean he's talking about staggered set of tires are setting him back. He's replaced all kinds of things, water pump, all kinds of stuff has just gone. It's got almost 200,000 miles on it. I mean, let's be honest. This is not like this has been a bad car. It's a car that's got a lot of miles. So Brian's yeah. moving on from this. And right now, he has been relegated to a 2005 Honda Civic LX with a terrible old-school automatic slush box, and he's in pain. So he's <laughs> desperately trying to get out of this car, and that's why he's come to us. So he's got four cars that I can see here, but he's got a laundry list of cars that he's driven. So good experience. You've got a lot of variety in here from the first car, which was an Accord Coupe five-speed, all the way up to, what, 03 Mustang GT, the work truck... Oh, I think you have this work truck, 1993 F-150. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you sold an 05 150. As you said, he's got the Accord sedan, the 330i six-speed, another Honda Civic automatic, a current F-100 from 1983, and his wife's truck, which is a 2013 Ram 1500. Apparently, she loves it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Brian says she's high, invincible, and happy, which means so am I. Happy wife, happy life, yep. right? So, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. The, well, I mean, that's that's the that's the truck girl mentality. You, oh, yeah. you just start yeah. to like that commanding road thing, and then it never goes away. I mean, this is my wife's conversation as well. I mean, she's a truck girl, and the the Cayenne, which is not, I mean, you sit the Cayenne next to my FRS, and it looks like a monster truck, and yet the Cayenne <laughs> right. is, I think, the lowest ride height vehicle she's owned since I met her. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Porsche could build a monster truck, and it would handle well. And still crush cars, I think she'd buy it. Uh, she'd be the first one in line, and I'd be standing at the back going, do you realize how much this costs? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. And then mm -hmm. the options. Okay. Uh, what else? He has driven, Brian has driven a Ferrari F430. I love that you said you were disappointed with this. I think that's funny. I think they're great for other people to own. Uh, SLS, AMG, Mercedes, 2012 Porsche Carrera S, so a 997 Carrera S, mm -hmm. driven that, and an 06 Audi RS4, which we have also driven, uh, kind of burn up the clutch. And he loved it. One. Loved it, but... Uh, but he loved it. I mean, oopsie. he just thought it was an amazing car, which is interesting to see things like the Ferrari didn't speak to him, felt too easy to drive, but he drives the RS4 and it just speaks to him. This is one of the things I love about cars in general is there are cars that you see what it's supposed to be and then you get into it if whatever reason it doesn't speak to you. It's like the people we fall in love with. The person next to you goes, I, I don't get it. And you cannot get over that person. Mm -hmm. This is the RS4. He got in it and just instantly loved it. So I don't, I mean, you're not really considering getting one because you're a little bit worried about the fact that, you know, come on, it's as old as the BMW you want to get rid of. So you want a newer car than that, but it's an interesting kind of touchstone for things you've liked. What's so funny is Brian gives us options, four options. <laughs> I'll just read them through here. 
First of all, is sell everything. He realizes he's got too many cars. <laughs> Rarely do people write all. to us and say, I have too many cars. What should I buy next? Like, what? It's what? true, though. Yeah. But see, but this is the thing, though. <laughs> the, I, I, the side note here in the sell the sell off, because there's lots of different sell variations here. The problem is there's no real cars here that are worth a ton of money. Right, so we're right. we're putting cars together to pool money and still not winding up with a ton of cash. And this is where this gets difficult. It's not like there's a couple cars we can put together and wind up with thirty grand. We put two or three car combinations together and wind up with like twelve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So sell everything except your wife's truck and pooling the money, the limited resources there. And he's saying that would yield yep. about nine to eleven thousand dollars. So mm-hmm. not a lot. Mm-hmm. Option two here, selling the old truck and the BMW to buy something he doesn't hate. Well, you know. <laughs> this <laughs> <We don't>. is, <laughs> that's, that's not even a lateral move. I mean, it's, no. it's like I, I sold a bunch of stuff. I got some money, and I don't hate where I ended up. Let's not do – let's do better than that. That shouldn't even be an option. Uh, kit car could be an option. He desperately wants that 818 Factory 5. But I don't see you doing too much commuting. He's got a – 22-mile yeah. commute, 32-mile on back roads, fun back roads. But then you haven't solved the problem. You've just kind of created more because you have an 818. And Yeah, as interested fun. as I am in that car, that's not a commute car. It's just – it's not yeah. a – that as, as cool as it is, unless you're just as insane as I am where I think – I'd drive a Lotus Elise in the snow. Unless you're as weird as I am, the 818 is not a car you drive every day. Insane, it's just not. Actually. Okay? Yes. And I would do it. I, would <laughs> I know absolutely. you would. You know the problem? I've looked into it. I know you know I have. The I problem with driving an Elise you. in the snow, <laughs> the problem with driving an Elise in the snow, honestly, is finding tires. Because yeah, those yeah. front tires are really difficult size. They're tiny and they're a very difficult size. And it's hard to find the front tires and snow tires. Yes, I have looked into this uh, and still might do it. But, uh, yeah, so unless you're just as nuts as I am, the 818 is not really a good answer here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about an Elise on those tank tracks? You know, like you can put the trucks on the tracks and replace the wheels? Sure, just, just, just jack it up and, yeah, plug the hub into the tracks, and that, that's going to be easy. That, Still, yeah, that, that conversion is you know, bound to be simple. I can do that in an afternoon. Nobody's yeah. done mm-hmm. that. I've seen zero YouTube videos on that, so get after it, people. <laughs> um. So that either means a missed opportunity or there's a reason we've seen no one do it. One of the two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's funny is option four here. Brian is saying sell everything but his wife's truck and get a used FRS. I'm telling you. Eric, you should have sold Brian your FRS and Brian sell Eric your BMW. Or just it's true. We just go, it, we've got like a we've got one of those Craigslist uh, missed away. opportunity things going on here. You're right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So therefore, remember I mentioned the commute, 22 miles, not as long as Eric's, but he's still got a commute and he wants a manual mm-hmm. transmission. He's open to a coupe, but he's looking for a sedan and miles per gallon. So I'm guessing this is not the quote unquote fun car. It's going to be the car, your go-to ride. You, you got to do whatever. This is going to be your car to replace the BMW. So therefore, mm-hmm. we've arrived at the exact same place as Eric. It's got to be kind of fun, all kinds of usage. You're in Georgia, so you know no snow there, so it could be rear-wheel drive. And I come back yeah. to that 128i for 20 grand. Interesting. I, I've come right back to it. I, I hate to say. Um, well, I don't hate to say it. I just thought well, but it could work here too. You know, It could work in the could. same situation. You're right. That so. was the thing is you could wind up with the same recommendations. However, a couple of things here took me in a totally different direction. I mean, I, 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 there's a lot of the same listing here. But when I look mm-hmm. at Brian's situation, there's a couple of things that struck me. And I want to speak to those. And then I'm going to give you my my single recommendation for you, Brian. And that is your last option is sell everything and try to get a used FRS. You're worried about that because you've only got probably about 12 or so grand cash available. So you may have to finance as much as half the FRS. You could do that, but you're not excited about it. The FRS flies in the face of you need a sedan. So you don't necessarily need a sedan. And you even mention here, sedans are more useful, but you admit the Ram truck that's staying has plenty of space. So you don't even have to have a sedan. Yeah. So I was struck by has to be a manual transmission. You really want rear-wheel drive. Miles per gallon would be nice. And, you're again, you're in Georgia. There's not terrible weather. I have to go there. I know it may seem cliche once I get there, but you're wanting fun. You need out of the Civic. Miata, my friend. NC Miata. Get a really? third-gen Miata. If you can, get a hard top. You've got, if you've really got twelve grand. 
honestly, if you've got fourteen fifteen, you're still ch- much cheaper than you could find an FRS right now. And you could get yourself a hardtop retractable NC Miata all day long for that money. You may even be able to find them for 10 or 12 Left field, that will be but fun. I like it. I like it. It will be fun, manual. It's everything you're looking for. Decent miles per gallon. I think it is a better choice than the FRS for you. I really think that is a serious consideration car. I mean, I like your 128i, Paul. I think that's a good recommendation. But I'm, I, I guess I just feel Brian's pain here, especially the fact that he's gravitated, gravitated toward the FRS and admits he's never even driven one. That just says something about small, lightweight rear-wheel drive is speaking to you. So I just went, Miata, with your money, don't go into extra debt. Do that. Walk away. Done. Hmm. I like the no extra debt part. You know, despite the fact of the persona that I am over here. Um, well, but, but I, I this like is, that. that. That's the, the check that I feel like he has in the idea of his FRS. He'd like to do that. That setup is interesting to him, but he's going, mm, I may have to finance half of that. I don't know if I want to do that. Okay. You know, honestly, let's just say for sake of argument, you find yourself the world's greatest NC hardtop Miata and it's 15 grand. Well, the nice FRS you want is 19. You're still saving yourself money. Maybe you finance two grand of it or whatever. So... I think the NC Miata, I think, is the sweet spot for you. I'm just calling that as my shot. Huh. Well, I didn't save you money, Brian. Of course, it's me talking. But I uh, shocking. I thought you loved this 330. You you do love it. You still have it. You love it. You've Brian writes to us and he says when he bought the car, it had 111,000 miles, and since then he's put almost 70,000 on it for a total of 181,000 miles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's up there, and now it's costing him money. But I think, well, wait, wait a minute. You love the car. Why not get hmm. the next one of those? Not exactly that, but yeah. you already love it. And I came up with this. The 128i, okay. yes, could work. But I came up with the 2011 335 IS Coupe for $20,000 with 62,000 miles. Hmm. What about that? Hmm. Yes, I spent more money. Yes, yes, yes. But <laughs> we kept with the BMW. Love it. Gobs of power. Todd and I have talked up this car one side and down the other. And the prices have dropped tremendously on these cars. With 62,000 miles, put another 60 to 70 on it, and yes, you still love it. I, it's a cool. Wait, three, the 335 IS is, that is, yeah, that's the hidden M3 that's in the, the lineup. How much are you finding that for? 20 grand with 62,000 miles. I'm just. I, I, every time I look that up, I have to check myself. I can't yeah. believe that car has come down that far, honestly. That was and, the lowest And, and in the far. world of $20,000 FRS versus $20,000 335IS, I love my FRS, but for, for this situation, yeah, the BMW wins. And 62000 okay, you're in that spot where things are going to start needing maintenance, but clearly you've proven they'll run fine and keep going strong with lots of miles. They're built to do that. They just need the maintenance. So where are you? Put the money in, yeah. If you don't want the maintenance, go with the Miata, okay. which I like. Okay. It's small. You could park the Miata in the bed of the Ram. But You could. You'd save yourself all kinds of park. Just build a ramp. Build ramps. It's going to be easy. You can go to one parking space, and then you can, I don't know, buy a boat. You know, we're just spending your money. Hey. Why not? Let's just do that. Yeah. Buy a ski boat. We like ski boats. Uh, or you could go the Hold coupe. Put your money in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, Facebook good. questions. Good, good. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, we've got, we got tons of them tonight, which is great. And we're going to ask for more for our uh, our podcast with Jason Vinsky. So uh, stand by for that. There are far more uh, questions here than we will ever cover this evening, but we do have a few we wanted to touch on. Thank you guys for posting. Some of you are reposting. Don't see, think we don't see those. We do see those. We'll work around to getting to them. We try to, to grab ones that, uh, that we can instantly have something to talk about. Some of the other ones give us some pause, but uh, keep posting. We'll get there, I promise. Yes, I'm going to kick things off with our friend Nate out in Chicago. He is uh, always so nice and so accommodating. We saw him during our Chicago track day, and he says, what is the first automotive obsession car for each of us? As in, you know, the first car we just kept thinking about night and day, couldn't get out of our heads. He says his with mm-hmm. was the Miami Vice Testarossa or the California Spider from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Classic, beautiful. Yep. Mine yep. aren't nearly so grand and cool. I can't explain this, but it was the Nissan 280ZX and those okay. 1980s era Mercedes-Benz SELs, like the big four-door honking big Mercedes. Hmm. I can't explain that, but I just found them riveting, especially the Nissan, this long, beautiful hood and... 
just sports car, and it just spoke volumes to me. I, I don't know. Interesting. Maybe it was Interesting. psychology okay. and the, the usage behind it and the, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, somebody, yeah. Somebody's a psychologist listening that could break down my childhood craziness here, surely. What does it mean? Well, that – that's interesting. There's there's a few of them that rattled around in my head. I mean, I've talked about a few of the cars that I loved as a, as a kid before. But as we're talking about this, I go back and I try to think about, you know, my, my son is almost seven. I try to think about when I was that age, what were the cars? I mean, because by the time I got 10, 11, 12, it became interesting things like, you know, the Z cars and the Ferraris and the, that yeah, kind of stuff yeah, started yeah, yeah, to yeah. seep into my consciousness. But if I go back like a kid, like I can barely ride a bike kind of kid, well, that puts me in England because I grew up in England from oh, about three and a sure. half to age 10. I was living there. Yep. And there were there were two cars that were in my consciousness. One of them is ridiculous because of why, and that is the General Lee. Okay? The 69 <laughs> Charger, which is still in my consciousness I because it's the General Lee. Now, wow. well, but, but but here, look, the filmmaker in me has to interject for a moment. Have you ever noticed when you watch the Dukes of Hazard that the tires squeal on dirt roads? <laughs> now, this Makes folks, sense is to what me. happening. This is what happens when editors and sound editors take things it's just a bridge too far. So uh, yeah, anyway, but uh, I didn't know this. I was you know tiny, and they were running reruns in England, and there wasn't a lot of TV on in England at that point. So yes, the the General Lee, which somehow also did you notice that every episode of that show there was always some random back road there'd never been in existence before that was the perfect road to get them exactly where they needed to be before the cops got there, and it probably had a jump in the middle. That, that they never discovered the yet. They'd lived in no, that area that, for years. And what, yeah, what's they this just, new road? There's that, old, there's that old road behind old man whatever's farm that did the, <laughs> oh, but the bridge is out. Well, that's okay. The general will get, I mean, uh, every episode. But I loved it. So the general Lee. But then the other wow. one, the other one, honestly, is there a few a few blocks from where I live in England. And this is England in the 70s and 80s, okay? This is, this is like the doldrums of car culture, folks. But a few, a few blocks away from where I live, it lived in England, and I and I was on my bike all the time. There was a there was a guy in England that had a classic blue and white '55 Chevy. In England, fins. that stands out like in England, crazy. In England, in the late '70s, early '80s, this is the car he had, like a '55, '57 Chevy. I don't really even know what year it was. I was tiny, but it said Chevrolet on the back, and I, as a seven year old, couldn't figure out why that wasn't Chevrolet. It just didn't make any sense to me. Awesome. How is it Chevrolet? That's not awesome. how that's spelled. But I would honestly, I would ride to that when that car was outside. I would just sit at the end of the driveway and look at it because it looked. It, it may as well have been a spaceship. It looked yeah. like nothing else in the world to me. And in a weird way, for my little adult kid brain, that was America personified in a car. I was. I didn't live in America. I knew England. I was. I moved there when I was so young. I didn't know the U.S. very well, but I knew that was an American car. And it looked like nothing else. And that was a, a weird kind of rolling representation of the U.S. for me. And I, I have very vivid memories of that car. But, <laughs> That's so I funny. Mean, I would never own one. <laughs> but, it was, but it made a serious impression. So I have to say that for sure. Chevrolet, let me drive it. Can we please? <laughs> exactly. And every time I see one of those cars, it's one of those weird nostalgic moments for me. I'm just kind of like, those are cool. No interest in owning one, but it's, it's, it's like a link back to that time of my life. It's very interesting. Huh. <laughs> you just never know. That's hilarious. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I had one from uh, from Rick. Rick wrote in. Hey, Rick, you were writing about uh, you. You noticed my uh, my mention of the podcast with Chance. We were talking about uh, times of losing control with your car and barely getting getting away. And I talked about sliding sideways for a long time in my Sabaru and it eventually coming back and not winding up in the ditch. And you mentioned that you had a time a few years ago where you totaled your Civic. When it began hydroplaning on the highway in, in really bad rain and you actually spun and totaled your Civic. And so you asked, you said, okay, you, you were terrified enough to not know what you did in the situation. What should you have done? Well, honestly, Rick, I don't know because I don't know the full situation. And there, there are lots of you know, unknown variables about it. Sometimes, look, the car spinning, it's not coming back. Okay, mm. <laughs> but, but I will say this to you. Watch our piece on the uh, Fiesta ST Octane Academy. Watch that piece. And I say that because there's a section in there where we drive something called the skid car. Now, we've driven it a few times, put it on video a couple times, but that one's the most in-depth. And it talks about the strategies of what happens as you lose control of a car. Because you're either losing control in understeer or losing control in oversteer. And both of them are lack of grip situations. The biggest thing 
when you lose control of a car is look where you want to go. And your hands will follow, steering where you want to go. Now, that doesn't mean the car will definitely come back. And there was a discussion in the skid car where once you start to spin, their discussion was during a spin, both feet in. It was clutch and brake and stop the car as fast as you can. Just lock those tires up and try to get it stopped. But prior to that reality, and and look, if you were spinning multiple times in a hydroplane situation, there's not some genius move you're going to pull off and pull that car back. I just don't think it's going to happen. But in general, in general, if if the car is starting to go where you don't want it to go, and this is the hardest thing behind the wheel, don't look at the light pole, don't look at the armco, don't look at the divider, look where you want that car to go. That is the biggest thing I can tell you. Yeah, that instructor can simulate different speeds on ice. And it's always, well, this, you know, what you're doing now is simulating 60 miles on ice and... You know, he'll just he'll get the back end loose or, you know, the front end or something. And, and you'll really learn the feel of understeer and oversteer. Mm-hmm. I would add, as good as the skid car is, there is nothing like actually doing it in the weather and having a driving school in the weather. And what comes to mind is mm. a snow and ice driving course that a friend of mine in high school did in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I grew up there mm. and he, he took this driving course. And consequently, he was terrible on a dry road. I mean, I was with him and he hit a truck. But on snow and ice, I'd be bored. He's the best driver ever. I wouldn't care. So going up I-70 in Colorado, no problem. And he would just, you know, he he knew the feeling. And so that uh, had always intrigued me because that is the real deal. And you can, you know, get get loose on snow and ice. And it's just usually a frozen yeah. lake where they can simulate and there's there's no nothing to hit way out there. So that could be yeah. a consideration if you want to take it that that far. But otherwise, yeah, start uh, start looking into maybe a, a one-day driving school that has the skid car that you can start to feel that in a controlled environment without, you know, taking your car out and saying, well, I want to f- recreate that. And, you know, then you've got bent sheet metal. So um, yeah, and the, and the hydroplaning, I mean, the thing about hydroplaning is a lot of times when that's happening, that's happening under braking. And yeah. if you're hi- starting yeah. to hydroplane under braking, it is another thing massively counterintuitive. You got to lift off. You got to you got to come off the brakes. You got to let those tires spin enough to 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 punch back through that water. That's something that is also really hard. I mean, I was actually driving, commuting in L.A. once, and L.A. is one of those places where it rains four times a year. But when it rains, all that oil is now uh, gathered and making things slick. And people have no idea how to drive in the rain in Los Angeles. No, no. idea whatsoever. No. I followed a guy once who started a hydroplane, and I watched him start to hydroplane when he went under braking. And when he went under braking, I, I know this doesn't really happen, but it was as if his brake lights got brighter. He, his brake lights went on. He began to hydroplane, and it was like they now swelled with a new intensity because it was almost as if I could feel him putting his foot through the floor. And I watched him hydroplane right into the curb. And, and he hydroplaned for, I'm, I'm telling you, a couple hundred feet. And I kept thinking, there's nobody in front of you. Let off the brakes. Let those tires find grip again. You're just, at that point, you're sliding on ice with your wheels locked. No ABS? So that's another thing I would say to you, Rick. No nothing? I mean, that's how ABS works. That's how it's designed to work. It should. Let on and off. It should work that way. Faster than human Brake lights lights glowed all the way into the curb. So that's something else to think about, Rick. The biggest thing you're going for is you want to get that grip back, and you want to look where you want to go. Yep, yep. Excellent points. All right. So Michael DeVitro writes into us and asks, what is one feature you would eliminate from all cars and one you would make mandatory? And I feel like we could rant on this for hours, but I do have a couple to suggest. And it's not necessarily eliminate, but car manufacturers are struggling with current technology and incorporating the latest technology into their cars because tech moves so quickly. Phones, everything about our electronic lives far exceeds the capabilities of what a manufacturer can successfully implement into their car. And even though they try to sell us on the tech saying, well, it's got the latest Bluetooth, what we're way past Mm -hmm. it. We're already bored because our phone now Mm -hmm. has whatever app that can do it far better. And then when we're trying to buy cars, we're going back through and I think, oh, seven. Yeah, I like that year. But Man, the screen was janky and mm-hmm. terrible, and the nav system is awful, and I don't well, want to look at it. And You're right. We talked ugh. about this before. The, you're, you, know? you would never buy a computer from 2007. Right. You'd never buy a 10-year-old computer ever for anything other than maybe as a doorstop or a joke. Exactly. These are the reasons you'd buy it. But if you've got now got that tied to your 10-year-old car, it seems like a car from the dark ages. Yeah. We've talked about this many times. 
I, I think I know where you're going. It, it's you have a nice dash piece that is connected to just a plug, and your yeah. phone just drives it. And that will drive the design. I mean, Tesla is doing a great job because they're nimble enough to push software updates, and therefore that computer can have a new look and feel. And you can update things because it controls the function mm -hmm. of the car in a tech-feeling way, the swipe and pinch and slide and push-button feel that we know. But even that, that's going to be you know superseded by something else, and we're going to think, oh, 17-inch screen. Wow, how 10 years ago, you know, we think <laughs> awesome now, but you wait, you yeah. wait when you want to, you know, have that fireplace on your screen. It's going to be totally different 10 years from now. So something that will go back to such connectivity with whatever device, I, I know this is hard, but, you know, think think more than just our car's got to have a screen. What's, what's next? And uh, I say in the mandate category, every car must have an external trunk release button. There should be a button to get into the trunk from the outside. Yes, that's just, a great one. They just have to have yes. a button. Your car doesn't have yep. it, and it makes us You're angry right. every yep. time. You're like, what? Well, but this car doesn't have a what? Oh, now I have to walk up. Oh man. Oh, yeah. It's, you're right. Um, no, you're right. I mean, that it's it's ridiculous. I mean, there there should be there should be no. You have to have the key fob or go into the button on the inside of the car. There should be just a tactile button to make doors open. Uh, period. Just in general. Just, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm even going to go, I'm gonna even going to go to things like Corvettes and, you know, Lotuses and uh, Teslas. I mean, they're, those cool electronic door latches are awesome until they decide to not work. Yeah. Latches should have buttons. I could rant on that, but I think they just should. But I agree with you. I mean, we've had other cars other than just my FRS where we're, it's always the surprise too, because you put the big case for filming in that car and invariably that's the one that at the next stop you have to get into and you're standing behind it and the key fobs in the car because we try to be good about that. You walk into the back and go, wait, there's nobody. And, and one of us ends up like on our knees looking at the underside of the, of the, of the hatch. Yep. Like, why is there no button? How hard was this? Surprise. I agree with you. That should be a mandate. This is mm -hmm. where the manufacturer saved money. Ugh, they cut that out. It was a switch, people. Come on. A couple well, of pennies. Well, I, I am going to say one in defense of modern technology. I'm going to say one in defense of modern technology, and that is this. I do think that, that blind spot warning, and I don't want like a big keep you in your lane beeper thing, but the little... The little light that comes on in the corner of your side mirror, I would love to see that on everything. Because the oh, number yeah, of people sure. that I see that will drive down the road for a long period of time with a car in their blind spot and not think that that's a problem. Yeah. And with so trucks. So whenever I find yeah, whenever I find myself in that situation, I always try to move past it. But it, but I know whenever we have a car with that little light in the corner, I find it great. I mean, I'm a guy that checks over his shoulder anyway, but in the FRS, for example... The visibility is hard. There's a difficult blind spot over your left shoulder. I would love to have that in the FRS. I, I mean, I'm checking anyway, but just to know, have that little indicator. And, and I, I, please don't give me a noise. And whatever you do, don't force me to stay in my lane. I'm a driver and I'm okay. But just that little indicator, that little light that comes up in the corner and just goes, blink, hey, there's a car sitting there, is helpful. Maybe just a faint clown music in the background, like... <laughs> exactly. That's what's missing in my normal driving is actually clown music. Yeah, okay. So Jonathan Brown wrote in, and he, he asked an interesting question. Jonathan, you've wrote, written it a few times. Thank you. You actually asked about the new Camaro ZL1 is getting press right now because with its new GM 10-speed automatic. That's right. Yikes. 10-speed. I'm going to back up for a second. My, I had an 05 Saab 92X. This is a 10-year-old car. It had five speeds. <laughs> 10-speed automatic. 10-speed automatic. Okay. So this new ZL1 with the 10-speed has just done a blistering ring time of about seven and a half minutes. And so Jonathan asked the question, are manuals dead? If things are going that fast with an automatic, what's the point of a manual? And I'm going to say to you, John, this is irrelevant. Because the reason you drive a manual, honestly, for the last 10 years, the reason you drive a manual is not because it's faster. No. That, that that ship has sailed. It sailed with the PDK transmission. It sailed with Ferrari's F1 gearbox. If what you're chasing is speed, if you're going to go on the ring and try to set a record, you don't want a manual anymore. You just don't. Yep. If, if you, what you're chasing is just how fast can I go, what tenths can I shave off, you want a really good automatic. Ideally dual clutch, but I mean, come on. This GM automatic clearly is not having any trouble. 
The reason you drive a manual is connection only. At this point, it has become an enthusiast hobby transmission. I hate to say it because I love it, but it's not anything you drive for I am faster than you because, candidly, you're just not. I am nodding in agreement over here. And, uh, yeah, it's it's the mechanical nature of connecting you to that thing because now everything is moving. All your limbs are moving. You're you know, shifting mm-hmm. with one mm-hmm. hand, steering with another, and both feet are going. There's no time to do anything else. And that's fun. We love that. You're, you're just fully involved in a way that no automatic transmission will be ever able to do. But, yeah, yeah you're right. For speed – they're unbeatable. They're just going to get yeah. better from here, which is scary to think. And it is. It is. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's that's going to be the bragging right. Then we're going to go to no transmission with electric cars. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're done. We're done with transmissions from here on out. No more transmissions. And um, yeah, I. Uh, that sounds terrible, but uh, they'll well, but, remain. But, but they'll there's. Remain. Look, it, it's that weird, you know, it's that weird thing like, okay, dancing or playing a sport well. It's it, when you have that full body coordination and you have that moment when it just all worked. Your body did everything you wanted it to do almost subconsciously and all your limbs were moving and you, and you performed whatever it is. Pick your sport perfectly. There's a natural kind of high and sense of accomplishment that sets in. That's possible with a manual. You do a really, really good heel-toe downshift into a hard corner on a track. You may have been slower than the guy that just passed you in the Porsche PDK. In fact, you probably were. But I guarantee you, you have a better sense of pride. That's weird. We're talking total geeky car guy stuff. But it is that same thing about you had a great day on your bike or you did great rock climbing or wow, that was a good ski run. It's just that that nice, almost kind of choreographed dance moment that is satisfying. That's possible in a manual and it's not in an automatic. Well, we should wrap things up. We've got time for one last quick question, and I I had to okay. laugh. Mike Fry, <laughs> he said, "What do you think of Nissan oh, no. buying Mitsubishi?" <laughs> I laughed out loud because uh, I I've decided Mitsubishi needs all the help they can get, Mike. Because true, after true. visiting Japan, apparently they have been reduced to making boring rectangular white hand dryers in all of the public bathrooms in Japan. So. Therefore, from the company that brought you the Evo comes just a bunch of hot air. And I'll leave it Nicely there. done. Nicely done. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to ask you to rate the podcast. Granted, don't necessarily rate the podcast on that, but it was pretty good, I have to say. So uh, thank you guys for rating and sharing it because it is helping the podcast grow and stay high in the ratings. We're like the number five automotive podcast, which is great. We are introducing guests to the situation, Jason Finsky, next time. And we've got uh, three or four others in the pipeline. Try to get one on the podcast every now and then. And then, of course, we will be back every Tuesday and Friday. You'll be hearing from us right here on the Car Debate. Yes. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Cheers.